0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome into Canister Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com. Joining me shortly is Chris Peterman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento being lots to get into in our midweek pod. We're going to just put a quick little bow on the 49ers week one win. A thing that I don't think we dove into enough in our recap podcast. So we're just going to touch on that real quick because it relates to week one, but it also uh, relates to what the 49ers are going to do moving forward. So we will touch on that for sure. And then we'll have the update on the Raheem Mostert news and what the 49ers do at the running back position moving forward. And then we're going to take a look around the NFC and see where the 49ers sit in the pecking order after one week and what we think the NFC is going to look like moving forward. And we're going to overreact a little bit to week one. Maybe. All
0: right. Blue Liar. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: Second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. All right, Chris, there was something in our recap pod from the 49ers win over the Lions that I don't think we touched on enough, and it's something that in the discourse about the game that I don't think has gotten discussed enough. And I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit because I think it's a little bit because it's, it's the cornerback depth. It's a cornerback issue. And I think that the reason it didn't get hit as hard is a, because of, I think just the, uh, the shock of the Jason bread injury and just kind of feeling for him, but also we knew that cornerback depth was going to be an issue but I think that when recounting how the end of that game happened, you know, they talk about the bad bounce off George Kittle and the Debo Samuel fumble. And, um, I don't think we talked enough about the fact that it was Dante Johnson and Ambry Thomas out at cornerback. The two guys who got picked on relentlessly by Jared Goff at the end of the game. Yeah. And, That's fair. Just of all the things that went wrong for the 49ers in that one, I work I work in sports talk radio. I've never brought that up on the pod. But at 957 the game in San Francisco, everything was about the the quarterbacks and the injuries and um you know the what are they gonna do at running back? And I just don't think you can stress enough how big of an issue the cornerback position is for the 49ers.
2: Well, so it it is and it isn't, right? Because I I think you're absolutely correct in pointing out that Ambry Thomas and Dante Johnson were the guys who were picked on, and that's problematic for them if they have to play. But the 49ers might not be in a situation, at least this week, where that's the case. Like, if if Emmanuel Mosley comes back and Kyle Shanahan is quote-unquote hopeful that Emmanuel Mosley will come back, then... Emmanuel Mosley and Deomador Lenore isn't like a terrible cornerback duo, right? But if Emmanuel Mosley doesn't come back, then you're looking at Deomador Lenore and, you know, Josh Norman, Dre Kirkpatrick, like who 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 was signed officially on Tuesday, like then, then it gets pretty problematic, particularly when you're talking about the Eagles receivers in Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager, who are just I mean they're young and they have ex they haven't done much in the league from a production standpoint but they're they played well in last week in Atlanta um and they might just be really hard for the 49ers to cover and so yeah I, I think that's that's a big problem this week because that can really be or it, it like throughout the season that could that could be what gives any team a puncher's chance against the 49ers right even if the 49ers offense is great, uh, even if the front seven is good, like particularly in the NFC West, when you have a division loaded with receivers, you really don't want to be thin at cornerback. And the right. 49ers are thin at cornerback right now. So it's much less of a problem if and when Emmanuel Mosley comes back. But not having him right now, or at least not being confident in him to come back, given his, he's uncertain this week, And Kyle Mm -hmm. Shanahan said he's not expecting Emmanuel Moseley to come back necessarily. It's, you know, that part of it is problematic going forward and beyond this week, you have the Packers. And I know the Packers played like shit on Sunday, but that's still a really talented offense and they still have Devontae Adams. And that might be the game where Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams just decide to click it into gear if they don't get going this weekend either. So, um, Yeah, I like like, that you
1: went into the analytics to describe how the Packers played. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's just it's it's just that not like if there's a big indictment, I think, from of the front office to make with how they handled the offseason, it was not making a big enough investment at cornerback. Right. And they kind of did it with pass rush in the 2018 offseason. Right. Like they came out of the draft clearly needing defensive ends, didn't draft any. They said Cassius Marsh. Uh, it's really hard to beat out Cassius Marsh and Eric Armstead's fine at defensive end, and like they really didn't have any answers there. And then the next off season, they added defensive ends and ended up going to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Like they needed to add cornerbacks this off season, and they didn't. So they, evident they they brought back Jason Verrett and they brought back Emmanuel Mosley, and like this is where they are, right? They are, I, I think, right now, and we can talk about this a little bit later. But they are a clear tier below, I think, the top teams in the NFC because of that disparity that they're going to have to deal with potentially against the best teams in the NFC who all have great receivers, including the other three teams in the division.
1: And any team that they're going to face if they want to be in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Whether it's the Chiefs or the Bills or the Browns or the Steelers or pick your top AFC team, they're loaded at receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the biggest thing to me kind of zooming out a little bit is how they went about, I, I get that they're a front to back defense. They're going to build up front first and then really be dominant with the pass rush and hope to get average cornerback play. And that will be fine. We saw that a little bit with the, with the 2011, 2012, 2013 49ers. It was, it was Carlos Rogers and Terrell Brown, and then a really good pass rush. And I get that that's what they want to do. But going into this season, like. But even they, Carlos Rogers was a Pro Bowler.
2: Right. Right. Like they went out and got him for a very specific reason. And he really did a lot for the secondary. Like they needed to go get a guy like that this offseason. Thank you.
1: That's articulating what I wanted way better than what I said. <laughs> so they, 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 but they, point remaining. They built the defense front to back. This year's 49ers. And. They just had too much faith in. Thank you. That's where I was going. In Jason Verrett. So.
2: And I get it.
1: I get it. Like. But the injury question mark was always going to be there with him.
2: Right. It's one thing. It's one thing. If Jason Verrett is among your best three cornerbacks. It's another thing. If Jason Verrett is your number one guy. Right. And Jason Verrett was brought in to be your number one guy. Like if Jason Verrett had started the season as the number two opposite another veteran or, you know, 1A, 1B, however you want to look at it, you don't don't need to order cornerbacks. But I just mean a more capable starter, somebody with more experience, and you trust more in big games against great players than Emmanuel Mosley, then this is an entirely different conversation.
1: I just don't understand how... A front office that dealt with injuries like this front office has and that has had to deal with depth issues, had an opportunity, had multiple opportunities to improve the secondary or improve the depth in the secondary. And Diamond Lenore has been really good. That's a really nice pickup. But Ambry Thomas didn't play football last year. Right. And to just expect that this third round pick for Michigan is gonna step in and just be awesome, that's a massive oversight. And not doing anything in free agency outside of re signing Emmanuel Mosley and re signing Jason Barrett, they build these houses of cards, and then when it falls apart, it's not it's not that it's not that big of a surprise. Like every everybody, our podcast, radio shows, TV analysts, other podcasts if you circle the thing that was wrong with the 49ers roster, it was, they didn't do enough to fix their cornerback depth and it bit them in week one. And yeah. I just don't think that that got like <laughs> discussed quite enough that it was, I don't want to say malpractice because you said it, if Emmanuel Mosley is back and playing like a starter and DeAmador Lenore picks up where he left off in week one, they're going to get good enough cornerback play and everything's going to be fine. Right. But if it's Dante Johnson and Ambry Thomas at any point again this season, you're going to have whatever quarterback they're playing against carving them up the way Jared Goff did. Right. It was a huge issue,
2: right? And it's like, one that's
1: going to continue to be an issue.
2: AJ Boyer, two years, seven million, free agent signed with Carolina. You know Troy Hill, two years, nine million with Cleveland. You know, like they're they're Kyle Fuller signed a one year, nine point five million dollar deal with Denver. You know, like the Niners were hovering in that cap space range and have enough big contracts that they could have moved some money around to make one of these guys work. Yeah, where they right? could have drafted
1: so, somebody in the second round.
2: Yeah, they could have drafted. They decided not to. They absolutely could have. And I mentioned Asante Samuel Jr., I think on three straight pods now, but like.
1: It's well it's I watched it's him pertinent. practice.
2: He's starting for them and he looks pretty good. He intercepted Jimmy Garoppolo in a red zone drill.
1: When when we were when when we were looking at the draft, we were like, "All right, the 49ers are picking 12. If they're not going to pick a quarterback, what position are they looking at?" And it was corners. It yeah. was Patrick Sertan and um help me out. Who's the other guy? It was there was two uh JC Horn it was like yes. which of these guys are they gonna take? It's gonna be a corner. And then they they don't draft a corner until late in the third round. And a a corner that didn't play football last year to boot. Right. I yeah. it's it was it was just a a shockingly fast realization of the 49ers nightmare scenario at corner. Absolutely. And I just don't think it got talked about enough on Sunday. So you could I have... to talk about it now.
2: I mean, you could, yeah, you you could have a rookie cornerback, somebody who drafted in round two, instead of Aaron Banks, who isn't even suiting up on game day yet. Like, you could actually have somebody that you feel a whole lot better about than you know. I'm looking at the depth chart now. Like, you could actually have a real player instead of Josh Norman right now, right. Like, you Mm -hmm. could have somebody who might be good enough to start who isn't 33. Like, Devontae Smith and and Jalen Rager are both 22. Like, if Josh Norman plays, he's going to be covering guys 11 years younger than he is. Jeez.
1: And maybe Josh Norman comes in and is fine. Yeah. And maybe Drake Kirkpatrick, I think he had three picks last year for the Cardinals, maybe he comes in and he's fine. Yeah. But the fact that that's what they're relying on, the Monday going into week one, they're signing Josh Norman off the street. And then the Monday going into week two, they're signing Dre Kirkpatrick off the street. <laughs> that could have been that could have been fixed.
2: Yeah. All right. This was on.
1: preventable. It
2: was preventable.
1: I think we made our point. <laughs> Anyways, um <laughs> moving on. That's the bow I wanted to put. Just that shitty poorly wrapped bow yeah. on week one. Um so we have
2: Raheem Mostert tweeting that. His season is over. Um, yeah.
1: Which like is 24 hours after Kyle Shanahan said eight weeks. Yeah.
2: Kyle Shanahan said eight weeks. Um, I read Matt Barrow's mailbag today. He did some reporting and spoke to Mostert's agent. Said um, basically the injury isn't any different from Raheem's perspective than what Shanahan said. It's just that Raheem wants to maybe have a more extensive procedure that we'll clean it up for him. So he'll be more healthy um, going into next season. And, and really like, you know, I don't know, I don't even know which knee it is for, for Mostert. So I don't want to speculate, but he's been wearing a brace on his right. And he wore a brace, a big brace on his knee throughout practice throughout training camp. So to me, there's a possibility that Raheem Mostert, his knee is, has always sort of been there. And then it got bad on Sunday and it's to the point now where he's like, all right, let me just get this whole thing fixed so I can be healthy next year instead of trying to play on it and do, you know, some serious damage and potentially cost me a chance at getting another payday um, the, at this stage in his career. And the issue is Raheem Mostert's going to turn going to turn 30 next season. Um, that's not a great age for running backs. Right. And now we're looking at a scenario where Raheem Mostert missed eight games last year because of a high ankle sprain. And now he's going to miss 15 games um, and only get two carries in 2021 because of a knee injury that could potentially be one that he's been dealing with all offseason. So Raheem Mostert is unsigned for next spring. So what's going to happen to him now is really anybody's guess. Um, if there is a silver lining from the 49ers perspective, and this is kind of screwed up to think about, but also just a reality of, of what of what this business is like Raheem Mostert might be back with the 49ers next season on a significant discount compared to what he might've cost if he came out and had a 1300 yard season. Right. So like, there's that, I guess, but it's, you you don't even know what Raheem Mostert's going to look like next season. And if he can stay healthy, because it's obviously two straight seasons now where he's been hurt. So I don't know if they're like, what what's going to happen with Raheem Mostert coming up now. Um, for the short term it sucks for the 49ers because he's their best running back and they can do different things with him on the field because his speed is just so hard to replicate and 99% of the time he's the fastest guy in the field and they can do a lot of it with a lot with him whether it's give him the ball or use him as a decoy and window dressing and all of that Mm -hmm. so not having him Sucks for them because we know how good he can be when he's, when he's healthy and playing well. Right. But Elijah Mitchell might be, you know, a diet version of what Raheem Mostert can give you. And maybe somebody who's more durable potentially. Right. His touchdown so, run
1: looked very Mostert ish.
2: Yeah. I mean, you watched watch through what, the whole one tackler slides off him and he's gone. Watching him at Louisiana. It it's, there were a lot of Raheem Mostert like mm-hmm. runs that he had. Mm-hmm and it's and you it made a to- whole lot of sense why the 49ers liked him. He's Mitchell's fast. He has speed like Mostert does and Mostert has the physicality too where he can stiff arm guys and and you know fall forward and and play with that physicality. I think Mitchell has some of that to his game
1: also. I will say this about Raheem Mostert going back to what he looks like next season uh in free agency. While he is 30, he only has 284 carries. Yeah. And to your point, he does run physical, but I don't remember the last time I was like, oh man, Moster took a shot. Yeah. I, I just, he doesn't, he doesn't get hit squarely very often. So among 30 year old running backs who are good, he's in a probably a lot better spot than, than a lot of 30 year old running backs are. Right. So, and you, yeah. And
2: it might be that, he realizes his best shot at succeeding is back with the 49ers. Yeah. Or, you know, another team that runs a Kyle Shanahan-like offense. I mean.
1: Which is the entire league now.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Rams, the Jets. um The Packers, the, the Falcons. Packers, the
1: Falcons, the
2: Seahawks. The run Seahawks, version I am. Right now. Oh, he's uh,
1: definitely signing with the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's happening. Like, book it. 836, Tuesday, oh, November man. 14th. You're gonna make our you're gonna make listeners angry with that. Well, but... dude, <laughs> it, might, Would it, it very shock well you? could happen. It Would it shock you? Know. No, it
2: wouldn't shock me at all. Okay. I will say a lot of those teams don't have grass fields, including the Seahawks. Mm. So it's maybe he wants they to also come back and play on
1: grass. They also have Travis Homer. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's his first name: Trevor. Trevor Homer. Travis. Yeah, you know what? Doesn't matter. I think it's Travis. So Raheem Mostert. Uh, he's out for the year. The 49ers on Tuesday signed on Johnson, uh, Detroit Lions legend. Uh, Just a great Eagles running legend. back name. It is. It is a It is a really good running back name. Just primed for a Chris Berman nickname. Uh, he's on the 49ers practice squad. But I think he also spent some time at the Eagles, uh, went to dip, played his college ball at Auburn. There's some potential
2: for some really good running back game, names on Sunday. The Eagles, the Eagles' second running back is a guy named Kenneth Gainwell. Yeah. Gainwell, strong, phenomenal running strong, back.
1: Strong, strong. Yeah, that's like the, the the A's had a pitcher named Josh Outman. Yeah. That's just right. – that's what he was born to do. So, <laughs> on Johnson is on the 49ers practice squad. Now, they made that official Tuesday afternoon. On their active roster, it'll be Elijah Mitchell, Jamichael Hasty, Trey Sermon's going to have to be up on Sunday. There's no, there's no way they're going to elevate carry on Johnson and put him ahead of, of Trey sermon. So with that said, do you think we see a, see a split like we saw on Sunday where it is 18 carries for Elijah Mitchell and one for Jamichael hasty and two for a third running back? Or do you think it's a little bit more evenly divided?
2: I would lean more towards evenly dividing the carries between Mitchell and Sermon and then stuck like key pasty as a third down back. Hmm. I I would try to get Trey Sermon going. You have like, yeah, I think you, I think you have to, they want to run the ball. Like any version of the 49ers being a dominant team is going to be them running the ball. And Elijah Mitchell is good, but I don't think it's necessary to run Elijah Mitchell 19 times a game. I think you I could. Think they want to. I think you could probably maximize Eliza, Elijah Mitchell at like fourteen to sixteen carries a game, and then give you know five to seven to ten to um, to Trey Sermon depending on the game script, depending on how the game's going. Um, that's what I would do. We we should also talk about just Trey Sermon and Brandon Ayuk and sort of the Kyle Shanahan stuff. Um, yeah, it's a little bit weird, but um, I think. In terms of Trey Sermon, like, they drafted him to play. And so I guess that transitions into the Brandon Ayuk thing because I think I think it's a very similar conversation in that Brandon Ayuk and Trey Sermon were both guys that were expected to contribute heavily. Uh, you know, when training camp started, both looked pretty good. Um, Ayuk looked really good early on in training camp, and Sermon was getting was basically getting half the reps with the starters with Ricky Mostert. So it was like, okay, Trey Sermon's one B, or you know, clearly the number two guy. And then for week one to come and he's inactive, and Brandon Ayuk is basically having his role split with Trent Sherfield. I mean, I think this is Kyle Shanahan sending a message like, hey guys, you gotta you gotta work hard in practice and you need to earn all of, all of the reps that you get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's ideally you want players who respond well to that and then rise to the occasion and do that. And I think the 49ers have a lot of guys that do do that. They're just not all receivers, right? Like George Kittle and Fred Warner and Trent Williams and all the guys basically with massive contracts. Right. Um, so that's the expectation that Shanahan has for guys and particularly guys that the 49ers invest a lot in, like he's going to demand it from them because a lot of those other guys, like, you know, George Kittle's a fifth-round pick. He had to earn his reps, right? And he, he made it very clear his first training camp and offseason that he was the team's best tight end. Uh, Fred Warner, as a third-round pick, assumed the starting job because he earned it. Right. right. And so we've seen we've seen the flashes from Brandon. Ayuk, and obviously, Trey Sermon is somebody that came into his rookie season with high expectations, given what he did in college and given the team that he went to. But there's something that happened over the last few weeks that makes it feel like that these guys did not earn the reps in Kyle Shanahan's mind. And mm-hmm. so is it is that on the players or is it on Kyle Shanahan for being too demanding? I don't really know because I don't know the specifics of what's happening, but I think it's one of those two. I tend to lean more towards it being on the players because Kyle Shanahan's a good coach and has developed a lot of good players in the league for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's probably him being demanding and like, I don't, I don't find fault with that given the success that he's had. Right. Right it's hard for, it's hard for me to look at Trey Sermon and Brandon Ayuk and give them a whole lot of equity in this situation, given that, you know, given that Kyle Shanahan does, is successful and has developed a lot of good players and had good players on this team that he's coached. So, you know, I, I wonder how these guys are going to bounce back. Right. And I think Ayuk, I I mean, I've said it on this pod and I still believe it. I think Ayuk is going to be a star I yeah. think he he might be in a rut right now, and it might be something off the field that's impacting what he's doing. I don't know. I don't know about Trey Sermon, but I think Kyle Shanahan was very clearly sending a message, even if he was citing Brandon Ayuk's hamstring injury. I believe his hamstring injury is a part of it, but I think there's another other, another side of it that Shanahan will not talk about publicly. Um, and I don't know what that is, but I think there's something happening with Ayuk to where he's not playing like he was early in training camp, and I don't think it's entirely about the hamstring issue that uh, that Kyle Shanahan mentioned on Sunday.
1: And, well, the- and what, what makes it so bizarre is that if Brandon Ayuk was just in the doghouse, quote unquote, I've said that word 87 times in the last three days, and I'm sick of it. If <laughs> if he was in timeout with Kyle Shanahan. He wouldn't have played, which is what makes this so weird. Like right. Dante Pettis, you remember Dante Pettis? That was the big thing with him going into his second year, going into 2019. It's like, oh, Dante Pettis in the doghouse he can't get out. He played two snaps in the season opener. Right. Two. And I believe, if I remember correctly, they were snaps like late, like in the after after the Niners were up two touchdowns. Right. So that's what makes this Ayuk thing bizarre. If he just hadn't played, it would have been like, oh man, like he must have done something bad. Right. He 26 snaps. He essentially split the snaps 50 50 with Trent Sherfield. Right. And if Ayuk is in the game instead of Sherfield on the Lance touchdown pass, and Ayuk has a catch for five yards and a touchdown. I don't even know if this is a conversation. But- right. Because he was on the field for 26 snaps and didn't get targeted, and his what was it, 14 routes run, run 13? I forget something exactly. Like but yeah. Somewhere. Whatever it was, he didn't get a target. It's this whole thing, which is that's what makes it bizarre. Yeah. Is like obviously there's something going on, but it's it's not just cut and dry. Like oh man, Shanahan's pissed. He needs to fix something. It's like oh, Shanahan's a little bit upset.
2: Trent and maybe Shur- he
1: just knows. Maybe he just knows that Ayuk is really good and doesn't want to take him off completely.
2: Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think he's probably working him back in. I think there's a physical element with the hamstring, but I also, you know, like Trent Sherfield, as good of a camp as he had and as consistent as he was, he was easily the most consistent receiver day in and day out. And you know, and how good he was in the preseason, like. Brandon Ayuk should not be getting his snaps eaten into by Trent Shurfield. Right. Like Trent Shurfield should be the number three receiver. Correct. And Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuels should be your top two guys. Right. Right. Like Trent Shurfield should be the one going games without getting targeted. Right. Just based on talent and investment that right. the 49ers have with Brandon Ayuk. So yeah, something's going on. Um
1: do you I'm, if I'm you guessing
2: were... if things will bounce back and normalize a little bit. There, there are also ways like schematically, Kyle Shanahan will go into games knowing certain guys are just gonna have big games based on the game plan. Mm-hmm. And it might have been Debo's game plan on Sunday, right? And sure. it might be that Ayuk has a really good week of practice, maybe not this week, but maybe down the line. And then he's the guy who's gonna get all the targets. Yeah. Right? Like that's possible too. We saw it with Richie James last year. Just like if they can force feed guys into production, if they need to.
1: So I'm all about, we're all about accountability on this podcast. I published a predictions thing. Okay. The on Saturday, one of them was that Jimmy Ward would get an interception for the first time since 2016. He had one go right through his hands. That was a huge bummer. But one of them was that Brandon. Ayuk would lead the team in receiving yards. Ouch bad start (laughs) another one was that Trey Sermon would lead the team in carries (laughs) so off to a roaring start with those two predictions I just thought those could still be on the table like you said maybe IU comes out and has 210 yards against the Eagles and everything's hunky-dory again and Trey Sermon has 15 of their 33 carries and it's he's the number one or two back going into week three
2: you want to know how dumb
1: I feel was just a funny start
2: you want to know how dumb I feel. I, I cover the 49ers, right? I watched every mm-hmm. training camp practice and go to all the availabilities and stuff. I started Brandon Ayuk on Sunday in fantasy. <laughs> like, I mean, I I need to I, I missed something, <laughs> you know. I am I'm whatever's happening, I missed it. And it, it's probably because we we weren't able to watch practice in full.
1: Well, right, and for what it's worth, outside of Matt Mayoko, nobody was, it wasn't like you were the only one. Yeah. It wasn't like this was some expected thing. The same thing with Trey Sermon. I had like (laughs) the Sermon thing. Somebody, somebody that hosts a fantasy football podcast texted me today and said, what's the deal with Sermon? Yeah. And it was like, buddy, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) But the, I had my, so I'm hosting at 95.7 on Sundays after our post-game show. Okay. But I do like a our post-game show is overtime. I do double overtime. Post-post-game show. Post-post. And so I have to get to the station early because of my drive-in. And I basically watch and write about the game in the sta- at the station and then go on air at my proper time. Right. So my plan was I'm going to write in actives. And then when I'm done with that, I'll get in my car, boogie into the city, and I'll be in the city in plenty of time to, to be in front of the TV for kickoff. Right. So I'd basically pre-written inactives. I figured Mosley <laughs> wasn't going to play and Kinlaw wasn't going to play. That was the big thing. They're officially out. Here's kind of what it means. And then I was just going to throw in the other inactive guys. Right. At the, a, and and call it a post. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting at my computer at 830. Just I've got my computer open. I've, I've got my bag ready. I'm ready to go. I'm going to press publish, close my computer and bounce. I see Trey Sermon's name on there. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Delete everything. Rewrite. It sucked. I still got to a TV in time for kickoff in San Francisco, but uh, it was a huge shock. And I'm really, I am. There's nothing I'm more fascinated to see on Sunday. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the week. But what Trey Sermon's role is, is it just he's active and just doesn't touch the ball or they try and get him going
2: i wonder how much special teams played a role in sermon <clears> being inactive sure. because the first play the first thing i noticed uh was that jemichael hasty and elijah mitchell were on kickoff coverage very first kick of the game and trey sermon is not i i mean i'm sure he could he's not like a speed demon right But so like i wonder if he's if if he would if he's an option there and and if if not then if that played a significant role because i mean they planned on having raheem Mostert. Right. right if they if right. they knew Mostert was gonna gonna be out two carries into the game they probably they probably go with sermon over hasty i would think you know
1: i think that's probably right so
2: let's yeah, take a I, look i wonder i just wonder what what's up with kyle shannon we're like we're gonna learn like Brandon, I you can trace sermon like we're going to learn a lot over these next few weeks. I think,
1: yeah, let's hit a quick break and then take a look at where the 49ers sit in the NFC picture. 49ers football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore. You know why? Because tick pick that's T I C K P I C K is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. See, what TickPick did is they got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. That's why I don't go to those sites anymore because those fees are ridiculous. It allows Pick to guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. You don't believe me? You can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site. If you can do that, Pick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. The 49ers open with two games on the road, but they are back at Levi Stadium September 26th. It's a Sunday night football game at home against the Packers. My mom, my mom has already gotten her tickets. She goes with her friends. I don't have a ticket yet. I'm gonna go to tickpick.com and get my tickets there because I'm not going to be charged service fees. I'm going to get the best possible price. And that's what your boy is looking for. I'm going to go enjoy the atmosphere. It's going to be electric. I can't wait to be there. And you should be there too. So visit TickPick.com slash Candlestick today and use the promo code Candlestick to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. Do that right now. And we will see you at Levi Stadium on September 26th. All right so the dust has settled on week one and i don't want to i don't want to have this be the overreactions thing like i don't want to have this be like oh wow green bay sucks now i don't they played horribly i believe you had it from pff they played like shit yeah. was your specific <laughs> analytics term yeah uh so i mean i want to i want to talk about you know kind of Stock up, stock down is kind of played out, but I, that's that's kind of how I want to view this. Yeah, like did, uh, did just anything, with, with NFC contenders.
2: Yeah, did anything happen on Sunday that made us change our minds about how we feel about the NFC based on co- what we thought coming into the season? Tampa and Bay still. There at are the a top. few. There are a few things for me.
1: Tampa Bay is still the team to be. Okay. Until pre- yep. uh, I mean, after after week one. No qualms nothing, with that. Nothing happened on Senate. And I think
2: part of that is because Dallas m- might be pretty good.
1: So, all right. I, I want to... Okay, let's talk about Dallas. I, If I'm going stock up, stock down, I go stock up a little bit on Dallas. Yeah. But it's worth noting that they lost a game, and I I think you might have retweeted this, or, or our buddy Nick Wagner, but one of you two retweeted this, that Tampa Bay was their... Dallas is the first team to lose a game where they won the turnover margin by three and had 450 yards of offense and the opposing team had hundred penalty yards, like everything went right for Dallas and they still couldn't win. So that could either mean that Tampa Bay is really damn good or Dallas is not as good as they looked on Thursday. That stat
2: is crazy, but it's less surprising when you consider that the Cowboys were playing a team quarterbacked by Tom Brady.
1: That's fair. Who looked Was there great. any doubt what was going to happen after Tampa Bay got the ball back with like a minute 20 left? No, not really. It was, it was nothing, yeah. but yeah, Tampa Bay is still at the top Dallas. Like I said, stock up. They were, they were, they were, if nothing else better than I thought they would be. And
2: it's just a very winnable division. So like, you don't have yeah. to be, you don't have to be the one seed to, to win the NFC East this year. Yeah. But we are going to talk about the Eagles too. Um, We'll save that for, for after this. But, I mean, the NFC West went 4-0 on Sunday. And all, like, you would think the Niners, who should have, I mean, it was a blowout. It was a blowout for 95% of the game. You would think coming out of a road blowout in week one that you would, you know, the 49ers would be, oh, they, like, is it crazy to think, in terms of the most impressive showings from Sunday that the 49ers have like the third or fourth in the NFC West.
1: Oh, it's fourth.
2: Despite blowing out a team on the road. In theory, Yeah. For-
1: yeah. Because I think, I think enough things happened where I say impressive when you feel the least good. If you're the 49ers about your win. Right. If that makes sense. The Rams looked great. Matthew Stafford looked awesome in their offense. Their defense is suffocating. The Bears might be a tire fire. The Bears might be a total dumpster fire. You're right. And I don't think the Titans are very good. I think I've had that take on this podcast. Yeah. But I don't think the Titans are very good. But Chandler Jones had five sacks against Taylor Luan, who is like a Pro Bowl left tackle. He had five sacks, and their defense looked really good. Now, again, the Titans lost their offensive coordinator this offseason. Derek Henry wasn't very good. But, I mean, they blew out a team on the road, and they actually finished their blowout. And then the Seahawks lit up the, the Colts, who may or may not be good. Carson Wentz stinks. Carson
2: Wentz does stink. What surprises me about that game, and I think is what, what's most notable about that game and what might make Seattle more scary uh, than I anticipated, was the fact that their defensive line handled the Colts' offensive line. Yes. The Colts' offensive line is regarded as, like, one of the best in the league. Yeah. And we didn't know like Seattle's defensive front was a big question mark coming into this season. We thought they got better um, because it wasn't very good last year, but they need a good defensive front if they're going to contend in this division. And they got it and they might have it in a pretty big way, Mm -hmm. Um, at least early on. And we should note that week one has a history of just being fucking weird. And right. Like, I'll never forget going into week two in twenty nineteen. Watching the Bengals play the Seahawks in that home opener, almost beating them on the road, and then thinking, Oh, maybe, maybe the Bengals
1: are kind
2: of frisky. They were favored. The <laughs> yeah.
1: Bengals were favored against the 49ers. The Bengals went on to pick first overall, and the 49ers went to the Super Bowl.
2: And the Bengals were favored. And when the they Bengals played.
1: were favored in week two. <laughs>
2: That, I totally forgot about that that's that's crazy. insane that's, that's, that's but you're right pivot.
1: yeah but you're right the 49ers barely got past the Buccaneers in week one they didn't look very good Jameis threw the two pick sixes yeah. and the Bengals hung with the Seahawks in Seattle it was like oh crap the Bengals man right. and then they wound up being the first overall pick yeah. and the 49ers went to the Super Bowl
2: so yeah so week one can be weird and we've, we've talked about the Jim Tomsula well, and Chip Kelly years, how they started week one, too. And so Bit. that's <laughs> like, let's not like, I don't want to overreact to anything we saw, but I feel like we know a lot about the Seahawks and the Rams and the Cardinals just from an infrastructure standpoint and what they're capable of. And so within that context, I think watching the way they played and how how well they all played Sunday makes me think like, man, we knew the NFC West was going to be good, but if the Cardinals are really good and the Seahawks are better than we thought, and the Rams are the Super Bowl contender that everybody believes them to be, like this division is loaded. Yeah. Potentially. Yes. Very, very loaded. So like that's that's what makes I mean, this season is gonna to be tough. I, like the 49ers if- might be like the fourth best team in the NFC,
1: and they might not even make the playoffs. They might be the fourth team in the NFC and also the fourth best team in their division. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But again, this is, this is all as if we're taking week one at face value and you can't because things change throughout the year.
2: Injuries Injuries happen.
1: happen. Teams have bad games, weird stuff goes on. So again, we're not, but if you were. Every NFC West game suddenly looks really hard. Yeah. But every other game on the 49 ers schedule, the Colts now looks easy. Yeah. The Packers game now looks a lot easier. The Titans game on Thursday Night Football in late December looks a lot easier. The Bears game looks a lot easier. Although if Andy Dalton is starting by week eight, I would be Matt Nagy's not having a job. He's not lasting the season if Andy Dalton's
2: starting at that point.
1: It wouldn't surprise me if the Bears owner at some point comes down and says, all right, start Justin Fields or you're gone.
2: (laughs) The, The Niners also, did you mention Jacksonville? jacksonville they play, stinks they play jacksonville they host houston they host atlanta
1: it just it's, so many the of their Cincinnati opponents might be got tough. got housed in week one yeah but again you can't actually take that at face value so yeah.
2: but give no, it a like, quarter
1: give it a quarter of a season typically and that's when you start to kind of get an idea i also that's for me anyway where are you at on the saints Because that's the game to me. We
2: talk about week one being weird. That's the game to me where if you ask me 17 weeks or like if 17 weeks from now, the Packers end up being like the one seed and the Saints end up going like nine and eight. Still getting used to the 17 game schedule. It's so weird. I hate it. But nine. Yeah. But like that wouldn't really surprise me In, in terms of like these games that we think really matter and might be shaping the picture of the NFC. Like that could be one or or it could be the Saints are are dominant and win that division and the Packers are having like you know the 49ers 2014 season. Um that's yeah. very possible. So, so where you what'd you what what were your takeaways from that game with those two teams?
1: If Jameis Winston continues to throw touchdowns on 40% of his passes, <laughs> Or whatever insane number that was—I don't think that's right. He was five touchdowns and twenty throws. He had seventeen
2: completions, right? And five of them went for yes, touchdowns. Yeah, almost a third of them.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. So it wasn't forty percent. I'm bad at math, but um, it on almost on more than a quarter of his throws. Quarter of his throws, exactly a quarter of his throws. He completed fourteen, so more than a third. He he was Boy, 14 of me 20. Me trying to do math on the podcast is brutal. I'm sorry he was for 14 everybody of out. 20. There a like, quarter of his passes were in fact cuts. Thank downs. you. Okay, a quarter, not a not 40%. What a dummy. <laughs> so <laughs> if he continues doing that, I think they'll be pretty good. The, the the big takeaway for me, I'm not sold on Jameis Winston yet as this dominant elite quarterback.
2: Yeah.
1: But their defense is real. Their defense is very good. New Orleans. And yeah. I think part of that had to do with Aaron Rodgers, not caring. Yeah. Like we've seen, <laughs> if you watched a 49ers Packers game at any point in the last two seasons or in 2019, you've seen the body language from Aaron Rodgers that nah, we're not winning this game. Right. And you saw that early. And then he throws a couple interceptions. He faces adversity that he doesn't typically face. He doesn't even want to play for the Packers anyways. So I'm, New Orleans defense, I think, is legitimate, but I don't think they shut down the best version of the Packers' offense. But I think they're better – the Saints are better than I thought they would be.
2: Yeah, I, so, I mean, the the red flag is definitely up on the Packers for me because we see yeah. teams, and having been around the 49ers when they went from three straight conference championship games to – um. Mediocrity and firing a coach because Of all this turmoil behind the scenes That seems like it's in play With the Packers based on their offseason Right like I don't think Mm -hmm. that's crazy to say at all Mm -hmm. But I also think they have a ton Of talent they have a great quarterback And it wouldn't surprise Me if I think they play the Lions On Monday night yeah if they beat The Lions by 70 points and then (laughs) We all just kind of remember And shrug our shoulders like and go Oh week one the Packers yeah right So that's possible
1: I think the Saints I think the Saints are in the tier with the 49ers where it's like okay you've seen that they can be really good but I just need to see more
2: i, I think I trust the 49ers a little bit more sure because I do too it, I think that like the top of the rosters better and I I mean it's hard to say with the quarterback situation but they both have flaws, right? It like you're but- you're not sure you're not sure about Jameis Winston as a quarterback,
1: and you're not sure if the 49ers can cover anybody. <laughs> yeah. And that's what so it all comes down to Jameis. Yeah. I made the joke about if he completes a quarter of his passes for touchdowns, but if he remains efficient, like if he's just not turning the ball over, yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be good. Their defense is good enough that if he just manages the offense. I think they're going to be okay, especially if Michael Thomas comes back and is healthy.
2: And Sean Payton is one of the best coaches in the league. It's a really
1: good coach. So, yeah, the, the Saints are – I had a question mark above them where I was going – I don't know. Maybe they're fine. I think they're better than like a 500 team.
2: Yeah. Um, I have a question for you, and then I want to talk about the Eagles. Okay. Would a Jimmy Garoppolo-led Washington football team win the NFC West – or East?
1: What did Jimmy Garoppolo? Man. Because uh... they just lost their quarterback. Yeah, but they have Taylor Heineke who almost beat Tom Brady in a playoff game. So, <laughs> um, man, I don't think I... so. Here's so I know what you're getting at. Yeah, I don't think it's enough that they would put together a package the 49ers would accept. Okay. Like I don't think it's like slam dunk bring him in. He's they're they're winning the division if he's the quarterback. Like Dallas for despite what I what I said about you know maybe they don't feel great about the loss. They looked way better than I thought they would. And I'm not sure that Jimmy Garoppolo gets them quite to that level.
2: But they do have the potentially great defense. I, I bring it up because it's it's the it's an example of what could lead to a Jimmy Garoppolo trade at some right. point. And it might not even be until the offseason. But there are teams, there are going to be teams, and a Jimmy Garoppolo market could potentially develop if he plays like he did Sunday and he stays healthy all season. So that's why I asked. I think there's a there's a world where the cowboys aren't as good as they were on thursday come back to come back to the pack a little bit and a mm-hmm. team like washington if their defense plays well and they get competent and efficient quarterback play and a good running game which jimmy groppel can do right. um they could potentially compete for for that division but uh, let's talk about the eagles cuz i just watched them play the falcons and honestly i was pretty impressed and i think my my takeaway was that the 49ers are a better team than the eagles are we doing but, our
1: Eagles preview pod now?
2: No, we're not. A, okay, not good, because I haven't done the deep dive yet. The, not a full preview. I just oh, want to God. say that I think Sunday's game is going to be a tough game. Yeah. For a lot of different reasons, right? I think the Eagles defensive line, like if 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 you're going to beat the 49ers, you're going to control the line of scrimmage with your defensive line. And I think Fletcher Cox and a lot of those guys that they have could – Bother the 40 like could control The line of scrimmage to the point where the 49ers Can't do everything they want like they did against Detroit
1: That's what they did last year when they beat them
2: Right I think Darius Slay Is and Debo Samuel like That's going to be a really nice matchup
1: so you're going to Need You're
2: going to need other receivers To step up because Debo Samuel is not going to Sneak up on anybody Um right. They have talented maybe skill a guys. Brandon Ayuk Yeah Brandon Ayuk maybe sure Uh George Kittle you know, somebody like that. Um, they have talented skill guys that are going to be really tough to cover, although they are pretty inexperienced. And Jalen Hurts is a mobile quarterback, and we know the 49ers have had issues with mobile quarterbacks. Um, so that will be very interesting. I thought Hurts looked pretty good. Um, Miles Sanders is good. We talked about the 49ers not being able to stop the run very well, particularly on, along the interior. If Javon Kinlaw is not in that game, Miles Sanders could have a big one. And if Miles Mm -hmm. Sanders has a big one, then that's going to make the game really difficult because that sets up play action and makes things a lot easier for Jalen Hurts. Um, There's also the factor that like the Eagles have a legit home field advantage and fans have not been at that stadium in a year and it's their home opener. So like there's going to be plenty of energy, particularly with the Eagles coming off that win in Atlanta looking playing as well as they did even though Atlanta might be a complete trash heap. Um so it's just going to be a tough game. And I think there are yeah. a lot there're just a lot of things that the Eagles have and can do um that are going to make it a tough game. I think the 49ers are better. I would pick the 49ers to win probably. Um but I think the Eagles can give the 49ers fits yes. uh in ways that the Lions couldn't for sure and I think it's going to take like I said, it's going to take a George Kittle game or a Brandon Ayuk game. Like it's not just going to be another 200 yard Debo Samuel game. Um, Daniel Brunskill needs to play well against Fletcher Cox, right? Mike McGlinchy needs to protect well against Brand- Brandon Graham and uh, and Montez Sweat and those guys. So, you know, and now you have Elijah Mitchell isn't going to sneak Josh up Sweat. I think. Josh Sweat.
1: Montez Sweat plays for the Washington.
2: Ah, uh, damn.
1: The Washington team. Damn,
2: I'm upset with myself. I
1: think his first name. name is Josh. There are check. two sweat pass rushers in the NFC East, and I. And they're not out. related, I don't think.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I haven't known anybody to have that last name.
1: Yeah, Josh Josh Sweat from Florida State. Right, and uh, Montez Sweat fourth from Florida State. Yeah. I think he was supposed to be a really high draft pick, but then had some medical issues. Yeah, and the they company. still have
2: Derek Barnett. And Trent Williams didn't play particularly well against the Eagles last year. And there's also, like, you know, Nick pointed this out to me, too, when we were talking, like...
1: Nick Wagner, not Mullins. Nick
2: Wagner, our favorite cast member. um, Like, there might be just still some really bad feelings about what happened in 2017 when the 49ers went to play Philadelphia and got absolutely housed and lost a bunch of guys to injury. And Joe Staley had his face broken by Fletcher Cox on that interception return. And they lost like everybody. And then they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo that Monday <laughs> mm-hmm. immediately after. And, it, and it's sort of like, but that, that game was like the low point of the season right. um, in 2017. And then last year, obviously that was not a high point losing to the Eagles on national TV. Um, this I, feels I'll, like a deep dive. Yeah. Anyway, there <laughs> might be some, some redemptive qualities to this game that Kyle Shanahan has
1: uh, coming into it so the Eagles looked way better in a little bit like I said I haven't gotten to re-watch the whole thing yet but in the little bit I saw they looked way better than I thought they were going to they make sense as a team
2: yeah like you see all the players they have and they make a lot of sense mm-hmm. so and
1: if Jalen Hurts is going to be even like average with his skill set yeah. their offense is going to be pretty good
2: yeah and it's it's just going to be a tough game. Like they're very early in the process. They have a first year head coach home opener um, for the
1: Eagles. Yeah. First, first game back for fans since 2019. Yep. It's going to be a nutty atmosphere.
2: Yeah. Philadelphia fans there. There's something else.
1: Boy, are they, you know, they once threw batteries at Santa Claus. Yeah. Or something like that.
2: Yeah. Um, I wonder if our guy Craig's going to go to that one. Shout out to Craig. Uh, sent us a bunch of clothes oh, from Lamp love Craig. um Craig came out Craig came out all the way from Minnesota to the Cooperage event in San Jose yeah. and then he did I mean he did go he also to the, went to a
1: Giants game and went to a Niner
2: game and a Niner preseason game but point being he, he came out to kick it with us and um big supporters and he sent us some
1: clothes so shout out to him I've really been telling myself that he came out for our event and then went to the two sporting events as like side things. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, what I've been telling myself. Yeah, that was. That was
2: <laughs> hopefully, that was part of it. Um, but yeah, Lamb Chop. They make like sweats basically, and they're super high quality and super
1: comfortable. And uh, I'm actually wearing some shorts, some sweat shorts right now. I've been to, trying to. Scrub. I've been trying to alter my style a little bit because yeah. I've dressed the exact same since high school, yeah. and I just not modernizing my wardrobe a little bit is going to be great and i can't wait i'm going to do i'm going to do a whole shoot in my full length mirror
2: i went from like levi's and hoodies in high school to like a lot of lrg and fitted ace hats in college to like much more of a normal adult now don't have any of the lrg hoodies i used to have unfortunately
1: yeah, I was never an LRG guy. <laughs> Lifted research group shout out. Um, but I just like jeans, a plain colored shirt. I try and wear brighter colors now, but fitted hat, sometimes a backward snapback. I'm just a hoodie when I can, although it's different. You wear
2: jumpers or jump hims. What are they called?
1: Romp hims. Romp hims. That's a Vegas special. Okay. That's a Vegas special. Rob Yeah, that's not a thing I would do because when you wear that, if I were to wear that down the street in my hometown, people would be like, excuse me, can you go wear normal clothes before entering this place? <laughs> in Vegas, no one even looks at, like, no one even notices.
2: You probably walk past somebody on the strip in Vegas wearing the same thing, and yeah, you guys we're wearing are like nothing. The Spider-Man meme.
1: Yeah, like, it's just I don't know Vegas is great I love Vegas um Listen, go
2: blue wire has a uh, they've opened up a studio there recently
1: I'm de- you tell me when we're going and I'm in there bro
2: we're gonna get we're gonna get on the horn with uh, with our guy KJ and make it happen like we should we should probably record a pod in Vegas right yeah multiple Isn't that something we should do
1: yeah why have we not done this already well I we're, guess we're busy with with lives and things but <laughs>
2: Hang on, I'm finding
1: a date. I'm finding the date right now. November 15th, dude. The night football, Los Angeles Rams. That's a home game. You'll be covering
2: them. I mean, we could go for the weekend and I could come back on Monday. Anyway, we could figure this out. December
1: 5 at Seattle.
2: The 49ers play at the Raiders next season
1: in 2022. Oh, we're in there with our guy, Kenny King. We we are in there.
2: Maybe Craig right. can come to that one, too. Party with us.
1: If Craig does not come to Vegas, I'm going to be mad as hell.
2: <laughs> I think there's a good chance Craig would come to Vegas for that one. So oh, we'll right. be in touch with that one. Also, be you on should all come
1: out. to Vegas when we go to Vegas. We'll give you more details. Sure. Once we
2: figure any out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: and, yeah, keep an eye out for the next batch of the Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA from Cooper's Brewing Company in San Francisco. Uh-oh. that's coming.
1: Hell yeah. All right. Subscribe, rate, review. We'll have one more podcast out for you. We'll record that Thursday. That'll come out Friday. It'll be a preview pod and we will talk to you then.
0: This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently.